MacCast, Sunday, February 27th, 2022. Hey, Mac Geeks, it's time for your MacCast, the show for Mac Geeks by Mac Geeks. I'm Adam, and this is the show where we discuss all things Macintosh. How you doing? Welcome back to the MacCast. Well, I have to start off the show today by talking about the fact that it feels a little bit weird to be doing a show uh, with the current times and the current going-ons. Um, it, you know, doing something like this seems less significant when we know that there's people in our community who are in real danger, who are suffering, and of course, I'm referring to the whole situation in Ukraine. Uh, it's even harder for me because I know developers uh, both at Riedel and at MacPaw. MacPaw has been a sponsor of the MacCast in the past who are in danger uh, or are having their lives literally threatened. And that's a heavy weight. And our support is with them. We feel for them. Um, but the more I think about it, I also think it's important that we are able to take little moments away from that and not to ignore it or uh, make it less, but to have something like the MacCast that we can come to just for a moment and hang out and go through Mac stuff, even though it might seem silly to talk about rumors and, and those sorts of things. We all need a little bit of break. So... Hopefully that is something that this podcast brings you. But again, I do I do want to recognize that you know if you have the ability to support in any way you can, uh, whether that's just moral support or financial support or whatever it might be, please absolutely do that. I will be doing that myself. But hopefully here we can get a little just short brief break and uh, go through some Mac and Apple stuff. So we do have a lot to get into in this episode. We're going to get into some iPhone 14 stuff. Uh, we're going to get into AR VR headset stuff. We've got laptop news and, and iPhone news. There's deals with Apple TV plus. We got some Apple car stuff even sprinkled in here. And then we'll get into some feedback on docs and i had a question for you about that and docs and monitors and those sorts of things so we get a little little bit of follow-up on those things uh and i have some tips and tricks for you so a question came up on twitter about wi-fi networks and wi-fi on the mac and we're going to get into handoff in this episode so if you haven't used handoff too much i'll talk about some of my favorite features and give you some tips and tricks there so it should be a great episode Let's just dive right into things, starting off with a little bit of discussion on the iPhone 14 and the design. We got a couple stories this week where we're locking in, it seems like, on the final design for the iPhone iPhone 14, or at least Apple is. There have been a number of stories this week giving signs that Apple is getting ready. According to Taiwan Economic Times, Foxconn has begun trial production of the iPhone 14 Pro. And in that report, it says that Foxconn will be responsible for the production of the Pro models, uh, while Apple supplier LuxShare is expected to pr produce the non-Pro editions. Now, the story this week is that Foxconn 
has wrapped up another trial production of the iPhone 14 Pro models. Uh, Luxshare has not entered that trial production yet. But what this all means is trial production is basically these are runs designed to evaluate the production process and potentially identify any issues that might come up, you know, as they've changed designs and components and those sorts of things. So they're looking for how is the process working in manufacturing and do we need to make any corrections or adjustments to uh, that process before we ramp up into final production. So it means they're getting closer to moving toward the final production runs of the new iPhones. And along with that, we're seeing some possible design changes that are being rumored uh, that the iPhone 14 may be slightly thicker and that would bring about possibly not having a camera bump, which I think would be great. Uh, There is potentially a return to circular volume buttons. Uh, So kind of going old school on that and redesigned speaker grills. So we've had the little holes along the bottom. This would be actually more like actual speaker grills along the bottom. I would imagine if they're making that design change as well, that means they're maybe looking to improve the audio system in this year's iPhones as well. So maybe we'll get a little bit better audio because of that. Uh, The biggest rumored new design element, though, is the move away from the notch for Face ID. We've been talking about that a little bit. There's been a lot of back and forth on what Apple might do, whether they would do a punch hole design or a pill-shaped cutout design or potentially both. Currently, it's looking like most people believe Apple is going to go the both route. And in fact, this week, we supposedly saw a leaked image of the new punch hole cutout design surfacing from the Chinese platform Weibo. And then YouTuber John Prosser claimed that he had independently verified that that was an actual schematic. And that is the design that Apple is planning on using. So I find this very, very interesting. We've had the notch for so long. It's gained, I think, finally acceptance in the community. And Apple's even putting notches on Macs now. And now they're just going to change up the design language again and go with this new punch hole pill shape design. So I'm not really sure why. Uh, I'm not sure how I'm going to feel about the design change, if it's going to be better or worse than the notch. I kind of feel like uh, the punch hole designs for me looks like you just have a blemish in your display, whereas the notch to me always felt like a deliberate design thing. This feels a little bit more like, hey, you just got some cutouts in the middle of your display. But depending upon how the UI and the interface works around it, maybe it will be better. I'm going to have to reserve judgment till I actually see it. But it's looking like that is going to be the new design for the iPhone 14. So I'm curious what you think about it. Do you think this is a good move? Are you excited about finally losing the notch, let me know, metcast at gmail.com. Another thing we're hearing about with respect to this year's iPhone is potentially smaller and improved 5G chips that are going to be made by TSMC versus Samsung. Reports are saying that Apple is going to take advantage of TSMC's new 5 nanometer architecture for the 5G wireless modems in the iPhone 14, so Apple moving to their own modem designs. The chips would offer advanced performance, significantly reduced power consumption, and have Wi-Fi 6.6e support. So that finally coming to the iPhone. And this means that 
you're going to have better cellular and Wi-Fi performance along with better battery life. And since the components are smaller, that could potentially leave extra room for even more battery. So we're expecting uh, pretty good battery improvements potentially in this year's iPhone. There are also reports this week that Apple is looking to diversify their modem suppliers. And this is according to DigiTimes. They say that they are negotiating with ASE Technology, which owns Advanced Semiconductor Engineering and Siliconware Precision Industries uh, to, again, produce those additional modems. So Apple branching out suppliers, which is more and more looking like they're looking at moving to their own designs, probably with this year's iPhone 14. And then finally, looking back at 2021, with respect to the iPhone, Apple's lead in the smartphone market uh, in terms of revenue seems to be continuing to grow and expand. This is according to new numbers from CounterPoint Research. They estimate that Apple's iPhone revenue grew as much as 35% year over year in 2021 to $196 And more importantly, their data showed that Apple had a 44% share of the global smartphone revenue for the year. So Apple, again, continues to take huge chunks in terms of revenue. So they may not have, uh, you know, the biggest, largest market share in terms of just phones and sales, but uh, the profits are still in very, very, very many ways going to Apple. So that's good news for Apple, and I would imagine they're only going to expand that lead with the launch of the iPhone 14 in 2022. Apple seems to not just be wrapping up iPhone tests, but maybe also tests on their new AR VR headset. This is according to DigiTimes. They say that Apple has completed key production tests for the first version of their rumored AR VR headset. The report says that they have completed the second phase engineering validation tests. These are the EVT2 tests. Now, there can be multiples of these tests, but this one is designed to validate that the prototypes are basically achieving all of Apple's design goals and specifications. The belief is that the device could be ready to enter mass production by August or September of this year. So that would be a little bit of a bumped up timeline. There had been kind of some debate that Apple might get the product out by the end of 2022, but it was looking more and more like it might slip into 2023. Either could still really happen, but this is showing that maybe things are advancing a little bit more quickly which is a good sign that we could see the AR VR headset by the end of the year. Now, ET News out of Korea also reiterated a rumor this week that the headset would feature advanced micro OLED displays. Some of the advantages of micro OLED and a product like a headset are that they have a much faster response time. Uh, They allow for a much higher pixel density, like up to 3,000 pixels per inch, and we had heard that Apple was looking to do 8K displays, and they offer uh, displays that are much thinner, smaller, and more energy efficient, which is going to be very, very important if you're trying to get a lightweight headset like Apple is. They report... The report also says that the micro OLED displays will be supplied by TSMC. So that's a little bit of a change from what we've been hearing in previous reports. Those reports were claiming that Apple would be sourcing the displays from Sony. 
And then finally, the ET News report backed up what we just talked about, that Apple had completed the latest round of engineering validation testing. Uh, but they also claimed that the device will feature an M1 or similar chip. And that's something I think we heard previously from uh, Bloomberg as well. So while this all sounds great, the ET News report does fall apart a little bit because it also claims that the device will run iOS and that might just be a little bit of confusion on their part, but previous reports had claimed that Apple was actually developing ROS or Reality OS, a specific version for the device, but it would be derivative of iOS, so maybe we can give them a little leeway here, but eh, we'll have to wait and see. I do think it's going to have not an M1 chip, but something specifically designed for the headset. Again, it's probably going to be based on the M1 designs, and same thing with the operating system, so it'll all be a little bit tweaked, but I think lines might be getting a little bit crossed, and that always can happen when we're dealing with rumors, right? They're never exactly spot on, and you're going to hear different opinions from different places, and that's why we bring it up here on the MacCast, and we talk about all the different things that are happening or being said in the community, and just try to infer from that exactly what is going on to the best of our ability, right? It's all speculation. We never really know till Apple actually makes an announcement. The question, of course, then will be, is it going to happen this year or uh, are we going to be looking into 2023? I don't know why, but my gut says 2023 feels more realistic. Uh, but hey, maybe Apple could surprise us by the end of the year. Ah, uh, foldable phones. Let's talk a little bit about that. I think anybody who's listened to the to the MacCast probably knows my opinion on foldable phones. I just think it's somewhat gimmicky. I've never been really impressed by the technology. I know it keeps advancing and getting better and better. Apple has stayed out of that game so far. And according to new reports from display supply chain consultants analyst Ross Young he says that based on his checks of the supply chain contact their supply chain contacts that they're going to adjust their timeline for Apple actually bringing a foldable display design to market and they're pushing it out another year to 2025 I think or actually two years to 2025 because I think they were were originally predicting maybe 2023 but what was more interesting about this report is at the same time, the analyst said that they are now hearing that Apple is exploring the idea of a foldable laptop design in the form of a 20-inch foldable laptop design. It would also target a timeline similar to the phone, having a product ready around 2025, although they do note it could take a little bit longer, so it might be 2026 or later. They say the design could allow for a couple of different configurations. One, having a full-size keyboard and a display when it's kind of in the folded mode, and I would assume that means a virtual keyboard, not a physical keyboard. And then another that would be a full 20-inch display that could then be paired or used with an external keyboard. I'm assuming Bluetooth or other Wi-Fi technology. And you kind of have a 20-inch display and kind of a more of a desktop configuration. So you can kind of convert between the two different things. This is all very well and interesting, right? Uh, the concept of a foldable 
laptop has been out there for a really, really long time doesn't necessarily mean that Apple's actually going to produce one, just that they're looking into those design concepts. And I think it's important to remember when we talk about things like foldable iPhone displays and and these different kinds of designs that Apple is really always playing with what is the future of our products look like, right? What are we going to be getting into? And it's a little bit why I don't talk too much about patents that surface from Apple on this show because it's all highly speculative, but it also is interesting to think about. You know, what would a world with foldable 20-inch laptops look like or really a foldable iPad to a certain degree? And even other analysts, I think, over at Bloomberg said it's going to be more like of a more like a hybrid iPad notebook design, uh, probably running some sort of variant of iOS versus Mac OS. But uh, Apple definitely looking years ahead to see what products and designs might be appealing to consumers. And really, I think you have to try this stuff. It's all R&D, and, and that's really what's going on here. So even though we hear about these sorts of things, doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen. The timelines are all speculative, but it, I think it's fun to think about. You know, what do you think about a foldable laptop display? You know, kind of a tablet that just sandwiches in half. I I think it's a great idea. I still prefer a physical keyboard on a notebook to a virtual keyboard, which is why even with my iPad, I prefer when typing, uh, writing show notes for this show, for example, to have my magic keyboard and i find that to be a much better experience but maybe newer technologies in the future will make typing on a screen feel even better you know we've seen designs where you have displays that sort of can form up and maybe form physical keys or those sorts of things so maybe that technology comes to fruition along with this and that could be very interesting you get haptic and tactile feedback so there's lots of things that can happen in future designs and and in future years and we'll have to see what apple comes up with but another really cool design that came out this week that apple seems to be exploring and playing around with relates to a patent that surfaced a new patent from apple that listed a computer in an input device and this really harkens back to the origins of computers the 80s when we had things like the Apple One and the Commodore 64, basically what this looks like is a slightly thicker Apple Magic Keyboard with the Mac actually built right into the keyboard, right? And we've had these designs before. Uh, but this would be obviously much slimmer, much tinier, much cooler. Apple says in the patent that there would be a single I.O. port, assuming something like Thunderbolt po- Thunderbolt 4, and it would be able to drive an external display and carry power and data across it. I would imagine you connect it into some sort of monitor or display that would act as a hub where you could have other peripherals plugged into that, and it would be paired wirelessly with a mouse or a trackpad and a keyboard. Um, so imagine your Apple Magic Keyboard is your entire computer, and that is pretty cool. And it also feels very possible, right, in the age of Apple Silicon. Uh We have processors that can be highly performant and not generate as much heat, uh, not take as much power. And so you could see them pushing something into something as small as a simple magic keyboard. 
and you just take that around with you everywhere and you'd have your computer. It's very highly portable, be able to plug into a display anywhere and get to work, which is a very interesting thing to think about. Again, when you're thinking about future designs and sort of how we might do computing in the future, uh, you know, what if this thing plugged into your AR VR display or just even wirelessly connected to that? That could be an interesting use case as well. So you could maybe have virtual monitors in front of you rather than physical monitors as well. So lots of things to think about. Very, very interesting stuff. You know, I'd be curious to know from the community, what what piques your interest? Are you following different design technologies and, and form factors and stuff like that? And what do you think the future of Apple's products, uh, desktops and tablets and what have you should look like? I mean, I still try to think about and speculate what computing looks like in the age of headsets, AR, VR headsets. You know, what kind of input devices are we have? Are we going to have virtual keyboards that we type in the air that doesn't feel very tactical, tactile or uh, great to me, but maybe there's other kinds of hand controllers and those sorts of things. So what are you seeing out there? Share any thoughts and information with me. Shoot me an email or just throw an audio comment, maccast at gmail.com. Turning to a little bit of Apple TV Plus news, Variety has a report out that says Apple's deal with Skydance amounts to what Hollywood terms a put deal. What does that mean? Well, that means that Apple has agreed to terms where they are actually obligated to release Skydance projects. In this case specifically, Apple agreed to release two feature film projects per year with budgets up to $125 million. Not only that, they guarantee a payout to Skydance of up to $25 million per picture. That's designed to cover the back-end profits that they would make if the film were a conventional box office success. Now, in these deals, Skydance uh, is not obligated to make films that will appear in theaters. So it could come just straight to Apple TV Plus streaming one way or the other. Uh, so the deal actually sounds really, really good for Skydance. Maybe not as great for Apple, but historically Variety says that really uh, the partners in these deals work very hard to make sure this is a, you know, a project that Apple would actually want to produce and put out on their network so historically they they tend to remain amicable right they're not going to force apple to put out something that they're not going to like and vice versa everybody wants to succeed here so not a big deal it's just apparently unusual um not uncommon but unusual to have these kind of put deals put in place and as a matter of fact apple already has a different deal with skydance animation in place and the first project from that collaboration is a film called luck which is set to be released on august 5th 2022 and then in other apple tv plus news Apple continues to pursue a deal with the NFL to try and get some live sports content on Apple TV+. Latest report is that they're reportedly trying to get the rights to NFL Sunday ticket games, which are currently, uh, I think, held by DirecTV. This report is coming from the Sports Business Journal. They say that Apple and Amazon are the two front runners bidding on NFL Sunday ticket games. The current bid is expected to land somewhere around $2 billion per year for the rights. Apple had been trying to get access to the NFL's Thursday night football games, but 
Apparently that deal has remained with Amazon. So this is their next play and their next opportunity. We'll have to wait to see if Apple really steps up for this. And it's not really clear if Apple does get this kind of content. Is it going to be just part of the Apple TV Plus plan uh, with no additional changes in pricing? That seems not very likely. It seems like Apple could put together some sort of premium sports add-on or package to the service, and you're likely going to have to pay a little bit more. Now, if they only have NFL, that's probably going to be a minimal fee, but as they potentially add more sports... Uh, it could go up and maybe become some sort of add-on package. But we'll have to wait and see. First things first, they are going to have to kind of land this contract, and that still remains to be seen. We'll keep an eye on this one. And, uh, you know, I, again, would I'm not a huge sports fan. I don't watch a lot of football, but it'd be nice to get a little more live sports content on Apple TV Plus or any live sports content, I guess, really on Apple TV Plus, right? So we'll have to see if this one comes to fruition. Looks like Apple's rumored Apple car is getting a brain and it's getting that self-driving smarts via a Korean company, according to a report from the ELEC. They say that Apple has teamed up with outsourced semiconductor assembly and test company OSAT and they would be helping Apple develop the artificial intelligence chip that would integrate neural processing, CPU, GPU, memory, camera interface, and other functions to control the self-driving capabilities of the Apple car. At this point, Apple's car is likely still years away from becoming a reality, although there is a debate on just how far off that might be. In the elect piece, they seem to imply that Foxconn's all-electric vehicle plants that are coming to the U.S. could be used by Apple. Those plants are expected to be operational by 2023, but most people agree that's way too soon for an Apple car. General consensus at this point is that Apple is eyeing a 2024 Release at the earliest could even be moving into 2025 or later. And it all just depends. That launch window could just end up taking a lot, lot longer. And just like we talked about earlier, this is all R&D speculation. Apple's been working on this project for years. We've been talking about it for years. As exciting as it sounds, you know, for Apple bringing a car to market, it's a whole new space for Apple. There's going to be a lot of moving parts and pieces, and I think they're still trying to get a handle on exactly how they're going to roll it out. But definitely the technology side of things continues to roll along. We continue to hear more and more about these partnerships, and so it feels like we're definitely getting closer, even if it is still a few years away. But with that, that is going to do it for the news for this week. Before we move on, I do want to take a quick moment and thank a couple of show sponsors, starting with New Relic. Look, if you're a software engineer, you've been there, right? It's 9 p.m. You're finally unwinding from work. Your phone buzzes with an alert. Hey, something's broken and your mind just starts racing, right? What could be wrong? Is it the back end? Front end? Is it the network? Did we introduce a bug with our last deployment? The whole team is scrambling. You're going from tool to tool, messaging person after person, trying to find and fix the issue. That won't happen to you if you get New Relic. Believe me, as a web developer, I've been there. I've been lucky enough to have access to New Relic uh, on some of my projects, and it's an amazing time saver when you're trying to troubleshoot issues. 
New Relic combines 16 different monitoring products that you'd normally buy separately so your engineering teams can see across the entire software stack all in one place. And more importantly, you can pinpoint issues down to the line of code so you know exactly why the problem happened and you're able to resolve it quickly. That's why the dev and ops teams at DoorDash, GitHub, Epic Games, and more than 14,000 other companies use New Relic to debug and improve their software. Whether you run a cloud-native startup or a Fortune 500 company, it takes just five minutes to set up New Relic in your environment. That next 9 p.m. call is just waiting to happen. Get New Relic before it does. You can get access to the whole New Relic platform and 100 gigabytes of data free forever, no credit card required. Sign up at newrelic.com slash maccast. That's N-E-W-R-E-L-I-C dot com slash maccast. Newrelic.com slash maccast. And a big thank you to New Relic for their support of the show. I'd also like to thank my sponsor, Hunter Douglas. You know, who doesn't love to live well, to be perfectly at ease in comfort and in style? Hunter Douglas can help you do just that with their innovative window shade designs, gorgeous fabrics, and control systems so advanced that they can be scheduled to automatically adjust to their optimal position throughout the day. Perhaps it's just the way shades diffuse harsh sunlight to cast a beautiful glow across your room, or being able to enjoy the view outside the window while protecting your privacy inside. Or maybe it's the superior insulation that shades provide, keeping you warmer in winter, cooler in summer, and lowering your utility bills. Or it's simply that Goldilocks moment when you walk into a room and everything about it looks and feels just right. And when you tap into Hunter Douglas's PowerView technology, your shades can be set to automatically reposition for the perfect balance of light, privacy, and insulation morning, noon, and night. And what's great about Hunter Douglas's PowerView technology, in my opinion, is it's HomeKit compatible. That means it can easily integrate in your home app with your iOS devices, your Mac, and your HomePods. That lets you control and build automations to fully control your Hunter Douglas window shades. That is really, really cool, in my opinion. So live beautifully with Hunter Douglas, enjoying greater convenience, enhanced style, and increased comfort in your home throughout the day. Visit HunterDouglas.com slash MacCast today for your free Style Gets Smarter design guide with fresh takes, creative ideas, and smart solutions for dressing your windows. That's HunterDouglas.com slash MacCast for your free design guide, and a big thank you to Hunter Douglas for their support of the show. We talked a little bit last time about some of my struggles with my dual display setup uh, with my MacBook Pro. Actually, a MacBook Pro and a new M1 MacBook Pro that I got from my company for my day job. And I have some great DBI adapters from Monoprice that I did as a thing of the moment. And I have my Anker 13-in-1 dock. The issue became that the dock only has a single downstream Thunderbolt 4 port. So I can't connect both monitors into the dock using Thunderbolt. Now, I do have an HDMI port on there, but I'm not a big fan of HDMI for computer displays. It's just never really worked out that great for me. Uh, and 
I've had some issues with it. So I wanted to kind of stick with the Thunderbolt route, but my monitors are not Thunderbolt. And so I don't have the ability to downstream daisy chain them through the port, which would be ideal because then again, I could still use a single cable. Really what we're trying to do is get to a single cable that I can plug into my MacBooks so I can switch between the two, between my day job computer and my personal computer and not have to mess around with a bunch of cables. But right now, the way it's working out is I'm really having to plug the monitors directly into the Mac and that's just three cables. There's a lot of extra cables. I know it's not a huge hassle, but it's one of those things, right? I want to simplify the whole setup. And uh, really... The only way to do that is to maybe get new Thunderbolt displays, and I've been considering that. I talked about it a little bit. I even asked for some recommendations from the community, so thank you, everyone who's been sending those in. Please continue to send them in, because I think I'm going to be in the market for some new displays here pretty soon. I have older DVI-based displays, and I've never really spent money on a good display, and I think it may be time to actually do that. But as I was doing all of that research and kind of digging into that route, I did run across an actual dock because that was another thing I asked about if anybody knew of a Thunderbolt dock that actually had two downstream Thunderbolt ports. And it turns out there is a new one on the market. Well, an updated one, CalDigit, and I'll have a link to this list, a link to this, excuse me, in the show notes at maccast.com has a new version of their TS3 Thunderbolt dock, oddly called the TS4. And it's pretty amazing. It has 18 ports, and more importantly, it has those two downstream Thunderbolt 4 ports. It also has gigabit Ethernet, five USB-A ports, three USB-C ports, an SD and a micro SD card slot, a headphone jack, audio in and out, display port and yes it delivers up to 98 watts of power so everything you could possibly want in a dock now the bad news is unfortunately it's sold out until at least early may depend or early march rather depending upon which country you're in and it is a little bit pricey at $359.95 US. So I don't know if there's a new dock in my future. I really do like my Anchor one. I think it's great. Um, I just wish it had multiple downstream Thunderbolt ports. And this is the only dock so far I've seen that has them and probably why it's sold out right now. The first round of it sold out, it looks like really, really quickly. And then, of course, because of supply chain issues and all the other things going on uh, in the tech community it's a little bit delayed. So that is an option if you're looking for something that does have two downstream Thunderbolt 4 ports. It does look like it exists. Uh, Just may not be able to get your hands on it just yet. Here's a little bit of a tricky one that came up on Twitter recently with my friend Dave. He noted that more and more lately, his devices, specifically his iPhone, was just joining quote-unquote known Wi-Fi networks uh, when he didn't necessarily really want it to and the problem with this is it can be not just annoying but potentially dangerous and I'll try to explain a little bit now he understands and I understand this is a convenience feature but what's puzzling him and was a little bit puzzling to me as well was that there's seemingly no easy way 
to get the behavior to stop, at least at a global level. You can't just kind of turn it off. So the way the feature works is that your iOS device, your Mac, will remember Wi-Fi networks that you have previously connected to successfully. So the next time you are around that network, it will try to automatically reconnect to it. And it's convenient and it's great when it's your own Wi-Fi network, but where it gets a little bit tricky is with public Wi-Fi hotspots, especially ones that don't necessarily have a login. It's potentially where it can go bad because a lot of public Wi-Fi hotspots use the same name or the same SSID. So to your device, it looks like a known network. Examples of this would be like Starbucks or AT&T or airport Wi-Fi. I'm sure we've all experienced this. So you go into one Starbucks, you connect to that network deliberately, and then you happen to be near another one and your device goes, hey, look, a known Wi-Fi network. Let me just connect to that. And you may or may not be aware of it. You may or may not want it to happen. Um, but suddenly you're on some other Wi-Fi. And, you know, that has potential dangers to go along with it. You might not want to be connected to that network. So if you go into your settings under Wi-Fi on your device, you can look at the settings for known Wi-Fi networks. Uh, look at the ask to join option and you have three basic settings. You have off, which says known networks are automatically joined. But if no known networks are found, you have to manually select the network. So that's pretty good. You have to actually manually select it. You also have notify. Known networks are joined automatically. If no known networks are found, you will be notified of the available networks. And then you have ask. This is how I have mindset because I like to have the device ask me if it wants to join a new network. So it says known networks are joined automatically. If no known networks are found, you will be asked if you want to join the new network. Great. But one thing you might have noticed about all of those settings is the known networks are always automatically just joined. You don't have an option to say, hey, I want to manually, ma always manually join networks, even if it's a network that's already known by the device. Now on the Mac, you have some options for kind of cleaning this up and, and changing these settings pretty easily. If you go into system preferences, into the network preferences, and then under Wi-Fi, click on the advanced button, you can review a list of the quote-unquote preferred networks, which are the known networks, and you can either remove them by selecting them in the list and clicking the minus button, or there's also a little checkbox next to each one that says auto-join. So if you don't want to auto-join that network, say, for example, the Starbucks network, you can uncheck that, and you'll have to manually join those networks all the time, even if they're all the same name, which is really, really great. Uh, that makes it a little bit easier to manage, but on iOS, it's really not as easy. Uh, you know, you have to be, with iOS, to change the settings, first of all, you have to be on or near the network in question. And once you're on or near that network, you can go into settings under Wi-Fi, and where you see that network, network name, click the little eye icon, and then under that, you get the settings for forget this network, which means that it 
won't be a known network anymore. Or you can also deselect the option or turn off the option for auto-join for that network. But you have to remember to do it when you're actually on that network. If you wanted to get a list or review that outside of that network area, unlike on the Mac, on iOS, you can't do it. You actually have to be connected there. Now, there is finally on iOS what I call the nuclear option, where you can go into settings general and you can scroll down and tap on the reset option and then tap reset network settings and basically blow away all of the known networks and all of your network settings all at once. But the issue here is that's going to reset you back to zero, basically, and you're going to have to reconnect, re-enter your passwords for any network you had been previously connected to. And that would include, say, like your home network. So maybe you don't want to go through that hassle, right? Uh, you're going to have to do it the more one-by-one manual manual way on iOS, and you're going to have to be near that network, uh, that known network, to be able to do it. So I, I just wish on iOS it had more of a system like it does on macOS, or even better yet, why don't we just have an option, some sort of setting or toggle that says, I never want to connect automatically to a known Wi-Fi network. I will always manually select that. And I get that'll be a little less convenient for your home network. So if you take your device away and you come back to your home network, you're going to have to manually reconnect to it. But that might be an option that some people prefer. Even better yet, it'd be great if you could define home networks settings, a home network settings differently or separately from, you know, networks that are outside your home or default network. Maybe you could have a default network that behaves one way and then every other network could be set up to to happen a different way. Just some ideas and thoughts, but it definitely came up. If anybody has some recommendations or tips around this, maybe we're missing something and there is a way to kind of set this up a little bit better, let me know, maccast.gmail.com. And then finally today, I wanted to talk a little bit about Handoff on the Mac and find out, are you using Handoff? And if you're not, why not? Because one of my favorite features with macOS and iOS devices now is Handoff. Uh, It's part of the whole continuity system on the Mac. And basically what it does is it provides a bunch of tools and conveniences for when you move between an iOS device, uh, iPhone or an iPad, and your Mac. There are a few things, if you're not using it already, you have to do to set it up. Uh, it comes on more recent Macs, but I think pretty much any Mac made or produced in the past you know, few years should work with handoff and continuity. Um, but you do have to set up a couple things. One, you need to make sure that all of your devices are signed into iCloud and they are all using the same Apple ID. This is really important because otherwise it won't work. So you need to make sure they're all on the same Apple ID. You need each device to have its Bluetooth turned on and its Wi-Fi turned on. And then finally, on each device, you have to make sure that handoff is turned on. So to turn on handoff on the Mac, you go into System Preferences, you click on General, and then select the Allow Handoff between this Mac and your iCloud devices. On iOS, you go under Settings, General, Handoff, and just make sure that Handoff is turned on. And so once you have it enabled both on your Mac and your iOS devices and you're all logged into the same iCloud account, you get a bunch of really great features. And probably my favorite one is Universal Clipboard. 
This means that you can actually copy something on your Mac and then paste it on a nearby iPhone or iPad or vice versa. So I use the opposite a lot. I'll be sitting here at my Mac working on something and I want to take a bit of text or copy something over, usually like a password uh, from a password tool over to my Mac. And this is because on my work computer, I don't have access to one password, the application, but I still can get on and go through my browser and get to one password and I'll have to copy passwords back and forth or just a password I need for work. I need to do some testing on my iOS device to be able to copy it on my Mac and then just paste it rather than having to type it on my iOS device is just a huge, huge time saver, really convenient, really great feature. And that's enabled by handoff. Another great feature is just the ability to move from one device to another seamlessly with different applications. So if you're in an app like Mail or Safari on your iOS device, so maybe you're out and about, or sometimes I'll just be in the living room working on something and I'm moving to my office. When I bring my iPad into my office and say I'm looking at uh, email on my device, If I look over on the right side of the dock on my Mac, I will see the mail icon with a little iPad icon next to it. You can click on that and basically what will happen is it will launch that app on your Mac in the same exact spot as you were on your iOS device. And again, this works both directions. So you can seamlessly move from whatever you're working on on one platform over to another platform. And it's really convenient and great. So if you've never really used it or tried it out, I would encourage you to give it a shot. And then one other thing that I'll mention, and there are a ton of features uh, with regards to continuity and handoff. I mean, things like AirDrop, if you if you use that, we use that in my house all the time to send information to each other. So I'll send links to my wife that way or photos to my kids that I want to share with them just over AirDrop when we're on our home network. And it's it's really great. It's better than just sending through, say, messages for a photo because that can get, you know, de- resed down to a lower resolution. So you can send full resolution photos and all those sorts of things through uh, AirDrop. So that's a great feature. But one other feature I wanted to mention on um, Handoff is what's called Continuity Camera. And you may or may not be aware of this, but you can use your iPhone or your iPad, a device with a camera, to either add a photo or scan a document right into your Mac. And this works with a number of different applications, the Finder, Keynote, Mail, Messages, Notes, Numbers, Pages, and Text Edit. Uh, It's really convenient for notes. Uh, I'll scan documents right into notes using my iPhone right into notes on my Mac, and it's really, really handy. And so what you can do is you can open up a supported app on your Mac And then right-click anywhere where you want to, say, insert a photo or scan a document. And then choose Import or Insert uh, from iPhone or iPad. And then you'll have an option for either Take a Photo or Scan a Document. You can pick either one of those. And then what will happen is the camera app will automatically launch on your device. And then you can either take a photo or scan a series of documents. And when you finish, that'll go right into that application on your Mac. So it's like having an external scanner right there. But, you know, not unlike the old days, you don't have a flatbed scanner. You just have your phone, which is your scanner and, or your you can take a photo and insert that right into your document. It's really, really cool 
really convenient and a great use of handoff. And I know there are some other great features of handoff. So if you have a recommendation, a handoff suggestion for the community, I encourage you send that in maccast at gmail.com. Either leave me a note or better yet, give us a little quick audio comment and let, let us know how you're using handoff or continuity. But with that, that is going to do it for this episode of the MacCast. Thank you for hanging out with me. Uh, before I leave you, I do want to take a quick moment and thank my show sponsor, Smile, makers of Text Expander. You can get more information and details on Text Expander by visiting textexpander.com slash podcast. Bandwidth for the MacCast is provided by Cashfly. You can find them at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com. And all advertising on the MacCast is handled by Backbeat Media. They are at BackbeatMedia.com. As always, I love hearing from you. If you have a comment, a question, something you'd like to hear covered on a future episode of the MacCast, please send your emails and audio comments to MacCast at gmail.com. You're also welcome to call in on the listener hotline and leave a voicemail. That phone number is 281-622-4269, 281-MAC-IM-9. And if you need show notes, links to anything that I talked about on this or any other episode of the MacCast, you'll find those on the website. That's at MacCast.com. And you can follow me on social media. You can find me on Twitter, twitter.com slash MacCast. You can check out the MacCast Facebook page over at facebook.com slash the MacCast or find me on Instagram, MacCast on Instagram. Uh, But with that, that is going to do it for now. Until next time, I will talk to you all again real soon. (laughs) 